You are listening to Hope Fellowship Church in Jaffrey, New Hampshire. Our mission is to bring the hope of Jesus to Jaffrey and beyond. We are here to know Christ, grow in Christ, and serve others. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hopejaffrey.org. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. Got a little scared when I first walked in this morning. I thought I ran everybody off last week, so <laughs> it's great to see everybody on this uh, holiday weekend. I hope you're able to get some time to enjoy it a little bit, rest and relax some. Uh, I know later today we get the opportunity to go to Winnemac for the baptisms and a uh, crew of you out there enjoying camping out there this weekend. So a variety of ways that we, we can do that. Uh, this morning, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, so if you want to get ahead there, you can turn in your Bibles or scroll to your Bible in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be starting in verse 4 here in just a moment. I'd shared with a few people during the week that I was going to be sharing a message on kind of uh, Paul focusing our hearts on how we experience the peace of God. And really bringing to light, like, how do we deal with anxiety, worry, and, and fear? And a few of the comments back was, well, that, that topic in and of itself just creates more anxiety and fear and worry within me. Uh, one of our staff members, I won't reveal her name, uh, but she, she, she mentioned, she goes, I don't think I have any anxiety or worry. Should I be worried about that? <laughs> yes. The answer is yes. Um, <laughs> But, but I, I want to take this topic of, of our, our fear, our anxiety, our, our worry, really any amount of, of kind of conflict, suffering, stressor that enters our life, those moments where we go, I, I don't know how to wrap my head around this. I don't know what the end conclusion is. I, I've received this diagnosis and there's, there's just natural fear and anxiety that can, can come about because of those things. And, and my point this morning is really not to look at every angle and every approach that we can take with anxiety and fear. There's a lot to unpack for each individual's experience with anxiety and fear. But what I do want to present is the foundation that we should all run to as followers of Christ. And even for those that don't yet know Christ, there is a God, a creator of the universe, who cares more deeply about you than you could ever imagine. And he doesn't want you to sit there with your anxiety and fear all alone. He wants to enter into that. He wants to show you a better way. He wants to show you a better future. And he's provided that. We've sung about it this morning and providing that through Jesus Christ and ultimately paying the price for our sins so that no matter what, even death itself brings hope. Because this isn't it. We don't live for just here and just now. In part of our, our country in the, in the 1980s, it was believed that there were a, a particular wolves that were in danger of extinction. And so there was this special bounty that's offered to any wolves caught alive. And each live wolf brought into captivity would bring $5,000. That turned two men, Sam and Jed, into fortune hunters. And so they headed into the forest. And day and night, they looked for their $5,000 wolf. But they couldn't find him. It seemed hopeless. But one night... As they were camping in a clearing, Sam awoke to find more than 50 wolves surrounding the camp. Their eyes were flaming, their teeth were bared, 
And he nudged his friend and said, Jed, wake up. We're rich. I'd say that's a pretty good attitude. Or what of the two men who were sent by a shoe manufacturer to this remote country to sell shoes? One of them wrote back. He said, I have, I have terrible news. This is a God-forsaken country where no one here wears shoes. I'm coming home. But the other man wrote, this is a wonderful country. I'm so grateful you sent me to this territory. Nobody here wears shoes. Send me 5,000 pairs. So maybe it's a little bit about perspective, a little bit about attitude. But what about the day when attitude and perspective won't carry the day? What of the day when life circumstances seem absolutely overwhelming? What is it when you get that diagnosis, you get that news, you think those thoughts, those moments when you need encouragement the most, what then? What when, all, when all these other things fail, where do we turn? What do we think on? In this passage, we're going to see this phrase, the peace which surpasses all understanding. And it's one of the most precious forms of encouragement that God has probably ever provided to us. It's the solution for the pursuit of peace. It's the peace that comes when we avoid impure actions. It's the satisfying answer in our chase for contentment, for the ability to actually enjoy life. And so if you find yourself desiring to experience the peace God offers, I'd like to draw your attention to Philippians chapter, chapter 4. I'll be reading verses 4 through 13. Follow along with me as I, I read. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's any excellence and if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, because I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It doesn't take us long to realize that we live in a culture that drives us to find our worth, our value, and encouragement in a variety of ways. You could see this in how we live our lives, right? Well, if you only had this living situation, you'd be happy. You'd be content. If you only had this job making this income, then, then you'd be fulfilled. You'd be, be happy. 
If only this politician would win, then every, all our, our things would be figured out. Our world screams at us constantly about a variety of things that are to provide us worth, value, and encouragement. But we have seen over and over again that the security of, our, of earthly things crumbles in a variety of ways. Many have experienced jobs where there is no security. Poor health enters your life. Relationships crumble. COVID, politics, finances, all of these things can be all that the world tells us. Listen, your health, your, your wealth, your job security, your family, all these things give you worth value and value. But they don't provide ultimate security. But we know that suffering can come quickly in any of these areas. And so when that happens, and the thing you are resting on fails you, what then? And so what I want to encourage us with this morning are just a few things. One is that when we are faced with a season of anxiety, fear, and worry, we should choose joy in those moments. When, when Paul here, who's, who's writing this letter to the church in Philippi, Paul had visited Philippi years before, and it didn't take him long to find any trouble there. He had traveled with another individual named Silas. When they had come into the city, they ended up being arrested. They were stripped of their clothes in front of a crowd. They were brutally beaten. We see this recorded in Acts 16. And then when Paul and Silas regained consciousness, they they woke up in the most secure portion of the Philippian jail surrounded by prisoners. Their wounds were fresh. Imagine the, the dirt on the prison floor must have added to their torment. With their feet in stocks designed for discomfort, it made for a day when Paul and Silas needed encouragement about as badly as they ever had before. And so what was their reaction to this no good, really bad, awful day? Acts 16.25 records, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I've always found this passage of Scripture to be quite unbelievable. Two men, right, serving God, were singing praises to God, which that in and of itself doesn't seem odd, right? It's what we do. But it seemed that they were responding on a day when God apparently had taken the day off. Paul had seen God's miracle working hand before. In fact, a miracle of God is kind of what led to all the trouble that occurred, what landed Paul and Silas into prison. So where was the miracle during the arrest? Where was the miracle during the humiliation? Where was the miracle during the beating? Where was the miracle as they sat in prison? Why had God let his missionaries sit in the rot of a prison dungeon all afternoon and half the night? But the bigger question I think we have to ask is why would God's missionaries sing praises to God under such conditions? But before the question could be answered, an earthquake 
shook the prison so perfectly, Paul and Silas were freed from their chains. Prison didn't collapse around them, and by morning their wounds were clean, and a revival was sweeping across the city of Philippi. So there must be a connection between what happened to Paul in Philippi on his first visit and what he then now writes, as we're reflecting on it, to the believers there several years later. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Could they have forgotten the innocent prison who sang at midnight? Don't be anxious about anything. Instead, pray, and God's peace will cover your heart. If anxiety rules your day, turn the tables on your stress. What doesn't seem like a natural response to us in the, in the depths of debilitating anxiety is the response that we see in, in Acts 16 from Paul and Silas as they're in prison to sing a praise song. To sing a praise song as if it's the best day of your life and not the worst. The fact is we, we live in a society where it's so easy to access music that, that can remind us of the truths of God. It's so easy for us to just pull up that song and say, I don't believe this right now, but I need this right now. To spend time in prayer, to tell God how much you love him, even if you feel quite unloved during that anxious season. Paul and Silas purposely chose joy in a difficult moment when there seemed to be no way out. Because choosing joy in the midst of anxiety is faith lived out. Chuck Swindoll, some of you may be familiar with him, tells a story of a couple who they'd been through this Bible conference all week long. And the theme of the conference was just everywhere. Every sign just related back to the theme. Behind the speaker was a big banner with the, the theme all over it as well. So you just couldn't miss the theme, which was looking unto Jesus. And of course, the speaker continued that emphasis in this way. He said, no matter what, keep your eyes on Christ. Focus fully on him. Don't let your circumstances get you derailed. In all things, rejoice. So the conference finishes up, and this couple gets into their car, and they leave. They drive across several states to get back home. And late one evening, as they're driving back through a, a freakish event, they were almost hit head-on by another car. And the older gentleman twisted his steering wheel and drove the car into a ditch, and and of all things, it wound up in this shallow ravine just under this little bridge. And this older man and his wife, who had been at this conference, they had just committed themselves to following fully the Lord, decided in that moment that even this must be from God. And so they quickly climbed out and stood on top of their car, put their arms around each other, and began to sing, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. At this point, there were already people gathering on the bridge to see if these people were okay, and now they're watching. The way these, these prisoners probably watching Paul and Silas when they were singing, this couple finishes singing the entire doxology, 
And it had an unusual effect on people. In fact, the wife even reports saying that the policeman was there and he had his hat over his heart as they sang. When they had finished singing the last amen, the husband shrugged his shoulders. He looked up at the crowd on the bridge and said, well, you folks must be wondering why we called this meeting here this afternoon. And then he told them about Christ right there, standing on top of their wrecked car in the middle of a shallow ravine, rejoicing always. No matter what your circumstances are today, choose to praise God. Choose to pray to God. Be active in pursuing him because choosing joy in the midst of our anxiety, our worry, our stress, our fear, and our struggles is faith lived out. So we need to, we need to choose joy in times of anxiety. But there's another reality of the world we live in. We live in a very immoral world. In this passage, I love verses 8 through 9 where Paul brings out what I I have often uh, referred to as kind of this filter. Um, it's, It's a good list, not an exhaustive list, but a good list for us to go, are the things I'm thinking, the choices I'm making, would they pass the test? Would they, would they make it through this filter? Because here's the reality. One of the surest ways for a Christian to lose his peace is for him to intentionally choose a path of immorality. The, the statistics of those who constantly feed their minds with pornography is unbelievable. And there's hardly a difference between those who claim to follow Christ and those who don't. If we're living in a season of anxiety and fear, and we're expecting God to work when we are intentionally choosing a path of immorality, what are we thinking? If we give in to temptation, we'll find that we can have only one of two options. Sin that violates God's word or the peace of God that follows an obedient lifestyle. And this is what Paul leans into. We really only have two choices, pleasing God or pleasing self. And I want you to see how intentional Paul is with his instructions. He says here, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, and lovely, and commendable, if it's, if it's something that has any amount of excellence to it, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about those things. Dwell on these things. Think on these things. Concentrate on them. Meditate on them. When we focus on the things of God, it only makes sense that the peace of God would follow. And when we choose the opposite focus of our thought life, we should not be surprised at the unpeaceful results. It doesn't mean that we don't experience fear or anxiety or worry. What it does mean is we don't allow that to rule our minds and our hearts. So allow me to encourage us with this. What are we we allowing ourselves to take in? What's that filter 
even as, as Lars alluded to already, our minds are a powerful thing. It's impacted by everything, every little bit of information that we receive and the things we see and the things we hear and the experiences we have. What are we purposely allowing ourselves to take yet? Would it, would it pass the test? Would, it, would, would I be able to take it through this filter? Is there moral excellence in it? Is there praise in it? And if there is, dwell on it. Enjoy it. Embrace it. But if it doesn't pass the test, flee. Run. Don't tamper with it because it's not worth the damage that it brings. To intentionally choose a path of immorality is a rejection of the peace of God. So in an, in an immoral world, my encouragement is this, and Paul's encouragement is this, choose an intentional path of purity. And then Paul begins to help us understand that we are to learn contentment in every life situation. It leads up to verse 13, which probably many of us know that verse by heart. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul is saying here, in whatever situation I am to be content, if I have a little or a lot, it doesn't matter. If, I, if I'm in turmoil right now or, or free and out of prison and able to operate freely, it doesn't matter. My contentment isn't in my circumstance. It isn't in what I have or don't have. And we should know by now that contentment isn't an automatic right, despite the fact that the pursuit of happiness is right on the top of the Declaration of Independence. Or maybe the Founding Fathers actually had it right. Maybe they knew that we as Americans would frantically chase contentment pursuing happiness all the days of our American lives. And so many of us seem to be convinced that the next thing we buy, the next job we take, or the next hobby we tackle, or the next home that we buy will bring happiness. And it's no wonder that if that is our pursuit, if that is what defines our happiness, if that's what defines our joy, if that's what defines our worth and value, that we walk away frustrated in that pursuit. Many of us are disappointed when we run after those things because we see the challenges in those. We see how they let us down. The reality is it's, None of those things were meant to ultimately bring happiness. It's not what, we, what will ultimately encourage our hearts in the most difficult seasons of our life. That diagnosis we receive, we don't sit back at our wonderful home that, that has been the, the joy of our happiness. We don't sit there and go, well, at least I have this home. It, it, it's making all things better now. Or at least I have all this cash sitting in the bank because now it's, it's made all that fear go away. We, we tend to lean on things that God never intended for us to lean on. He's provided these things to, to show that he cares. And for many of us, especially when we look on the global scale, we are blessed beyond measure. If you have a stocked refrigerator right now, you're better than 95% of the world in what you have. 
But that stocked refrigerator won't be the thing that brings you joy and happiness and value and worth. And we know this. Like, we, we understand this when we say it out loud. But we pursue all these things as if they're to provide me the very thing that God says, no, 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 no. You want peace that surpasses anything you could ever experience? Then run to Christ. Run to him. It's no wonder that if we're running to all these other things, it's no wonder so many of us are frustrated. I love watching my boys. I don't have the blessing of having a, a, a girl in our home. So it's just, it's, it's pure craziness all the time, which also means there are creatures and bugs and things that are just part of our everyday lives. And I'm not sure if it's because they really like the bugs and the creatures or the impact that it has on their mother when they bring those things home. But man, the boys love to go and catch all kinds of bugs and other small creatures and watch mom freak out. You know, every giant worm that they find, you know, they have to show it to you, this thing's just massive, right? <laughs> Spiders, ants, lizards, mice, right? Dead things, all these things. One of the things I love watching Caden do as he was growing up, he doesn't do it as much anymore because he's a very mature seven-year-old, but he used to love to try to catch butterflies. And this was at a stage when he was just really distracted by anything. Um, you know, we had this squirrel that he named out in the yard whose name was Wavy because it would, you know, wave its tail at him. And he was, he was sure that Wavy moved to New Hampshire with us. And lived. I haven't heard much from Wavy recently, but he may have moved on. But he used to try to catch these butterflies. And it's so funny watching a, a child try to catch butterflies, right? And the, the frustration they have where they're trying to catch one, but they can never quite catch that butterfly. And, and the funny thing is about butterflies is that they seem to land when you least expect them to. They land on the mower when it's resting from yard work. Right? They, they've parked on, on baseballs that I've wanted to throw. And sometimes they've even landed on me in some of my quieter moments. And so perhaps contentment and happiness are a lot like butterflies. Because the more you chase them, the more they fly away and hide. And if you really think about it, chasing butterflies is probably a worthless occupation. Right? You can't eat one. You, you can't sell one. It won't do work for you. It won't keep you company late at night. So it's really a smart thing just to put the butterfly net down. Ironically, once you stop and busy yourself with things that have greater value, like relationships with your family and friends and with the Lord, contentment and happiness will sneak up on you from behind, land on your shoulder, in the midst of your hurt. And you'll have encouragement when you need it most. Paul had pulled it off through his persevering, lifelong walk with the Lord. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. But not that, not that I'm speaking of being in need, 
For I've learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Did you see the secret there? Which really isn't much of a secret. He had learned contentment as a direct result of his walk with Christ. Look at the phrase, I'm able to do all things through him. This was not Paul's claim to be able to do literally anything infinity. This was Paul's secret to being content in every situation. Paul's statement, I can do all things, refers to the fact that in all of life's circumstances, the good and the difficult, he could trust the source through him who strengthens me to guide him in every way. Paul had cultivated a life of Christ-following discipleship. If you pull this off with intentional rejoicing and intentional purity and an intentional concentration on contentment, something wonderful will happen. God's peace, which is like no other peace, will be yours. Remember what Jesus once said. He said, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. It's this same kind of peace that Paul gives here and that he's talking about here. In a great word of encouragement, it's the, the peace that surpasses all understanding. Taking away the, those anxious thoughts, guarding it against impurity and blessing us with contentment. When Paul painted a picture of this very unusual peace for the Philippians... He looked no further than their own town limits. Since Philippi wasn't far from the coastline of Greece, it was something of a first alert station for invading armies. And since most of the residents in this town were families of retired Roman soldiers, they understood the danger of attack. And so that's why they would have a sentry who worked through the night in Philippi, while people inside the city slept the sentry kept watch. Knowing there was a guard on alert, people rested easily. The sentry would watch for enemy soldiers or for a midnight thief. The sentry was always on guard, and that gave the Philippians reason to rest peacefully. So when Paul talks about the peace of God, the kind of peace that was beyond human understanding, he capitalizes on the imagery to communicate his message. He says, and the peace of God, Paul writes in, four, in chapter 4, verse 7, will guard, like a sentry guard, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the, the peace of God will be like that sentry marching around your life, watching for things that might battle for your peace of mind. And when you need the encouragement the most, God's sentry man of peace will be at its best. That's the idea of God's peace that surpasses all understanding. Because before we're aware of the danger or difficult circumstances that lay across the paths of our lives, before we ever see the stumbling blocks before us, God is already working to provide care, to be looking out for that. 
Because when God works, it's impossible to describe peace, which is why the Bible calls it a peace that transcends understanding. It's the sentry guard watching at night while we rest peacefully, knowing someone far superior than ourselves has all the circumstances of life under control. Before the days of Jimmy Fallon, Jay Leno, and even before the era of Johnny Carson, Jack Parr was the host of The Tonight Show. And in those days, America was regularly treated to the piano playing of a man named Jose Mellis. Mellis, who was a music director for the show, regularly amazed the television audiences with his versatility on the keyboard. One of the really fascinating things that Mellis would do was to invite Parr to come over to the piano and just strike the keys in a completely arbitrary manner. And Parr then would strike a horrendous discard, discord and then say to Mellis, okay, Jose, let's see what you can do with that. So Mellis would respond by putting his fingers on the keys struck by Parr and begin to blend the notes of the discord into a beautiful piece of music. He would not only start with the discord struck by Parr, he would come back to it time and time again, making it an integral part of the music. Something ugly was transformed into something beautiful while America watched and listened. There's a great analogy there as to what God can do with each of our lives. With sin and pride and greed and mistakes, we sure have struck enough discordant notes. But God has the ability and desires to reach into our lives when we give him the chance and make beautiful music out of all our discord. In your greatest need for encouragement right now, here's what Paul is communicating to the very people that brought about his imprisonment who are right now needing to be lifted up and encouraged, he says this, choose joy, choose purity, choose trust, reject anxiety, don't put your sole focus on the circumstances, memorize and soak in scripture, get to know your God, find the confidence that comes through knowing Jesus. And then, the encouragement found in the peace of God can be yours. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for directing Paul and his thoughts to, to encourage the church of Philippi in this way. In many ways, these are, are very simple things to read, and yet they're, they're difficult just to, to put into practice into our own lives. The, the circumstances we face and the way our minds operate, th that overwhelms us too many times than we would want to admit. But Lord, you, you have said very clearly that you are a God of peace. And Paul shares with us that this peace can be ours as we run after you. So Lord, would we be people who don't depend on the things of this earth to give us value and worth and peace would we rest in our maker who has created all things, who knows all things, directs all things, 
who has invited us to sit with him and rest and enjoy the reality that we have a Savior who is our sentry guard watching out for us. Would we choose purity over all other things? That we would not be running away from you. Help us to learn this lesson from Paul who understood that whatever circumstance he was in, that in all these things, he could trust the one, the source, the focus, Jesus Christ, to provide our peace and our confidence as we navigate our way through this world. Thank you for your love and your care and your compassion for us. May each of us find this to be true in our own lives as we grow in our understanding of who you are and what you desire to give to us each and every day. We love you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.